This is Paul Nobles from Eat Reform, and I am with Coach Mike Milner, who is sitting in replacement of Coach Sarah Kumar. And uh, Mike, did you want to say hi to everyone? Hi, everybody. How's it going? So um, I'm going to just turn up some volume here so everybody can hear you. Um, and try not to go too high. Can you say something again real quick here, Mike? Yep, I'm here. Is that better? Yeah, so what we're going to be talking about today is everything hurts because there was a few things that, that I didn't necessarily understand. Um, and through some of my conversations with Mike, I'd actually started to make some adjustments with some private clients that I have that uh, were perfectly in line with some of what Mike's thoughts were related to Everything Hurts, and so I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, but I wanted to really kind of start things off. Um, there was a big discussion about sodium, and it directly relates to this conversation because, you know, there's a lot of talk about anabolic, catabolic, and... You know, anabolic, a lot of people think of it from the standpoint of, of anabolic steroids and, and building muscle and stuff like this. But, you know, anabolic is simply the process of adding tissue, right? Not necessarily lean tissue, not necessarily body fat, but um, it's just a process of adding tissue. Catabolic is the opposite of that, you know? Sure. And so, so it ends up happening for a lot of people. Mike's uh, sharing the groups, and so we're getting a little feedback off of his stuff. But what happens for a lot of people is they think of things too extremely one way or the other. And one of the things that happens for a lot of people is, you know, if you're a bodybuilder and you don't want to be catabolic, you know, you don't walk upstairs as if it makes that big of a difference. Um, uh, conversely... You know, when we talk about sodium, sodium is, is anabolic in nature. Um, what it, sodium does, it basically allows for the transfer from the intestines to the rest of your body with a combination of potassium to create like an electrical bond that moves the nutrients to where they need to go. So therefore, it is anabol anabolic. So one of the things that you'll often hear, especially in a dieting phase, is to kind of keep your sodium under reasonable levels, right? So let's think about this. Let's say that you're under eating, you know, in an effort to try and release some stored bodily fat, right? So catabolic. Um, you wouldn't necessarily want to have 5,000 milligrams of sodium each day. Right. But you might want to because think about it. When you're eating less, you don't want that food to be less flavorable. You typically want it to be more flavorable. And so what ends up happening is that people sort of trade calories for sodium. And so often, you know, and, and holding water into your cells is actually a form of comfort. Um, and so what ends up happening is you don't feel near as deprived, right? And sometimes being a little bit hungry actually does work in your favor in regards to a fat loss cycle. And so what ends up happening with having too much sodium is you might be a little bit more comfortable at a lower calorie point, but you're really not getting the response that you want to get. 
So let's look at it really because the point of this podcast is really to talk about building muscle, right? And so uh, one of the things that I think people don't consider because there's always this talk about sodium, like a lot of times we'll talk about steps and then people go from doing 4,000 steps to 40,000 steps, right? Sodium is sort of the same thing. We'll tell people to be conscious of sodium and then all of a sudden they see that their weight goes down because they're more conscious of sodium. So now they're trying to get sodium down to zero. And that actually hurts the anabolic process. That hurts the process of holding you know, things. In. So you want to be at a reasonable level, but you don't want to be so low that you know, you're causing low blood sugar, low, um, you know, low uh, uh, blood pressure type issues, things of that nature. Um, any thoughts on that, Mike, because you brought up a post and it was, you know, typically, you know, controversial, but I, I think a lot of people think of salt in a way that, yes, if you're an overeater and you're overweight and you have bad life habits, then so, you know, eating 10,000 milligrams of sodium is going to be real bad for you. What we're talking about is a reasonable approach to sodium, right? Yeah, and I think you kind of nailed it by talking about that balance. Um, you know, we, we tend to think of things in either black or white, and the answer usually lies somewhere in the gray area. And I think that's, you know, when I posted that, I wanted to make it clear to, you know, use that framework and apply it to yourself. A lot of times people will, like you said, be conscious of sodium, and then all of a sudden they get that water release and the scale goes down and they think they found that they like solved this magic, you know, fat loss equation when really you're just releasing that water because your sodium is a bit lower. That's not necessarily good or bad. It's kind of, you know, just is what it is. It's what happens. Uh, and like you said, there are anabolic properties to sodium. And I tend to, you know, since we'll get into talking about training, I, I eat more sodium before I train with my pre-workout meal uh, because it helps me, you know, feel a better pump during my training session. And so there are um, times where I increase it and I'm just aware, just being conscious of it and knowing that, you know, the impact that it has on your body and holding on to water and um, those type of things can, can help you just, you know, make better choices. And, and we always stress, you know, eat mostly whole foods. Um, if your sodium is through the roof because you're eating a lot of processed stuff, then, maybe we you know, want to address the food quality first and, and then kind of revisit the sodium issue. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, kind of going off of what you said, you know, when I started Everything Hurts, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that process, because I think a lot of, you know, I'd never really done like a bodybuilding protocol. So I think there's going to be a lot of what I say that, you know, is going to be really interesting because I'm going to have a conversation similar to you guys having a conversation with Mike. He has much more understanding. There are people asking questions about sodium. I don't want to get way deep into sodium. You know, I, I, I think ultimately there was somebody that asked, should you get a full blood panel and stuff like that? Look, I, I think you should get a physical every year and check all those things out. But there's a lot of people that don't do the basics, Right. If you're logging your food and you're eating 7,000 milligrams of sodium, stop doing that, right? See how your body responds. Move to 2,500 milligrams. 
see how your body responds to that. But what I'm actually making a case for is the fact that when you're working out to build muscle and you're in recomp as an example, you actually want to keep sodium in the mix, right? And so when I started Everything Hurts, the first thing I did was up my sodium intake so I could be a little bit more responsive. Actually, I found, um, well, like Mike's saying, you know, I always made sure that I had some sodium. Usually it was, you know, the protein that I use, which, you know, a lot of people don't realize that. Like I use Progenics. It's actually pretty high in sodium. A lot of proteins are pretty high in sodium. Um, combine that with my peanut butter and I had a pretty good pre-workout mix. Then if you go to say Chipotle afterwards, right, you'll end up holding on to a lot more of those gains and that muscle pump a little bit longer. You know, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I walked home later at night and took off my shirt and it's like, hey, Vic, you got to see this, you know, um, and, and, you know, when you're a little bit more conscious of your sodium, you won't see near the muscle pump that, that Mike was talking about. Is, is, is there anything that I missed in that conversation, Mike? No, I think that's, that pretty much sums it up. I mean, you're, you know, you're pulling water into your muscles when you have the sodium pre-workout. So, you know, obviously better muscle hydration is a good thing for while you're training and yes. then pulling the nutrients from whatever post-workout meal you have the the sodium can actually help you know pull those nutrients into the muscle so that's obviously beneficial for recovery and, um so yeah that that pretty much covers the uh the sodium topic yeah the so I'm, I'm running into a little bit of an issue here with um my charger and so let's see how I can address this. I'm going to pause the podcast for a second. All right, so we're going to continue with this discussion. And what's going to end up happening, so right now I'm having some phone issues in terms of charging. If we end up, if this ends up, you know, kind of going away, uh, you'll just have to listen to the rest of it on the podcast that we post. So, the main reason why we're talking is because of Everything Hurts. And if you don't know what Everything Hurts is, it's sort of like, I think the best way that I describe it, it's like boot camp for muscle building, right? And so when I look at, you know, Everything Hurts and Pain Train, which are the two, two things, Pain Train kind of came before things. It was a little bit more fat loss focused, right? Everything Hurts. You know, the, the way obviously it got you know, named was when I first started doing it, we were looking for a name. And I said, honestly, what does she be called is everything's sore, you know. And, and then we ultimately came up with everything hurts as a result. And so when um, I look at the evolution of Eat to Perform, I consider everything hurts to be a big part of the evolution of Eat to Perform because, you know, when it's all said and done, we're trying to hold on to as much muscle as we can. And a lot of people train in a way that doesn't actually hold on to muscle. It's actually contrary to their goals. 
And so what I wanted to talk about, um, and, and sadly, I think we're, we're up against it on my iPhone being charged, but, um, and we'll, we'll keep the podcast rolling so you guys can listen to that later and I can post it in the private groups later. But when people first saw Everything Hurts, they thought of it as I can do either what I normally do, which might be CrossFit or Orange Theory or, or whatever, um, or Everything Hurts. It was like an either or. Um, and I'll let Mike expound upon that, but that was sort of a mistake or, or a misconception that I think a lot had. And I, I, I kind of started off that way. Um, and quickly started to make adjustments and started to make adjustments for my clients. The best way to say it, though, right, Mike, is that, you know, if you're doing everything hurts six days a week, one day off, adding in a bunch of other stuff on top of it isn't good. Right? Yeah, so to kind of preface that, I the reason why I was so adamant originally about saying if you're doing everything hurts that's the program that's all you're going to be doing Uh, really for two reasons the first is it's a rapid muscle building program and so we're doing a lot of work in a pretty short amount of time Um, so the second reason is I can't you know when you have thousands of people you're programming for a large group so I'm not making an individualized program for every single person. You know, we have thousands of people who are doing this program. Um, we kind of have to try to control for the other variables. So if we have all these people doing everything hurts and then adding in Orange Theory and CrossFit and, and all this other stuff on top of it, and then they're wondering why they're not getting the results that they want or why they can't recover properly and stuff, you know, could potentially go wrong in that scenario. Uh, so that's why it was just easier to say, let's just control for that. And here is the program and this should be your main focus. And um, when you say now, on top of that, you don't mean, so, so the thing that I wanted everybody to hear is that if you're going to do six days of everything hurts, you should probably stick to just doing six days of everything hurts. But there is a way, look, let's be real. Like if you go to Orange Theory, if you go to CrossFit, some of these things are social. We certainly wouldn't want you to quit your social relationships at your gym. Now, you might not get the most optimal everything hurts experience, right? But I can tell you since the day that I started everything hurts, I have not done six days on one day off, right? I am a 50-year-old athlete. I have a whoop that tells me when I'm recovered or not recovered. And so I use that information. And more often than not, you know, like this week, I'm on a four day, four day streak. And then, you know, today is actually a rest day. Um, But can we talk a little bit about about some of those adjustments and how you would see those happening? Give me your general thought process on what I just said. And I think the, the key that you, point that you just made is optimal versus progressing with what fits best for you. So what's optimal for the program, it's designed 
to be an eight week, almost like muscle building blitz. Uh, you know, it's, I don't recommend people training like that year round. And, you know, we're basically, I looked at it from my own experience through the program of how can I maximize muscle growth in an eight week period? I wanted to keep it short enough uh, because I personally kind of get that training ADD. So I'm somebody that likes to change things all the time. So really that eight weeks was just, how can I do this in a short period of time that will keep my interest and maximize my gains? So now knowing the framework of the program, optimal for that, for somebody who does do CrossFit as a social thing or does do yoga or likes to go to Orange Theory with their friends. Um, if you looked at it and said, okay, I could gain the same amount of muscle extended over 12 weeks. So that's the first thing is just extending the time frame. So let's say, you know, you would have gained five pounds of muscle in eight weeks, but now you're gaining five pounds of muscle in 12 weeks, uh, you know, but you get to add, you get to keep those things in. Um, you just have to kind of change the expectation and, and kind of maneuver your schedule now to just extend it out. So we're no longer doing six days a week plus, um, you know, two a days with CrossFit or Orange Theory. Uh, so now we're kind of look at it, looking at it from where can we place these rest days in because now we're adding a little bit more stress on the body and then how can we manipulate the intensity of those other programs? So uh, CrossFit is a good example just because um, you know, stuff well, like let's hold, theory, let, let, let's hold off there for just a second, because I, I think I have like a number of examples and I'm interested to hear your opinion, but I also probably have a little bit of an opinion, but if you're going to default to an opinion, default to Mike's opinion. Um, because obviously he's the, he's the person with the program design. The one thing that I will say though, is that the tendency that happens whenever we start to have these conversations, it just brings in more confusion and solves less problems, right? So that's what lends us to go, hey, just do everything hurt six days and have one day's worth the rest, right? So when we start to get into a more customized way of doing it, you have to sort of change your thought process about what your receiving from this, right? And I think, you know, I was just talking to a customer, um, a, a client of mine, and I said something that I think is, is well, it's definitely the way I look at it. I think the way that most people should look at it is that every day is a new opportunity. There is no finish line. There is no start line, right? And so the only finish line that you have is death, Right. So if you did it wrong yesterday, do it right tomorrow. And that, that's going to be the way that I think you should frame this conversation so that you guys, you know, don't feel like, oh, I did it wrong. Right. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the different things. So I'm going to give an example to Mike. I'm going to get your opinion and then, you know, I'll give you my thoughts on it if, if they differ in any way. Orange Theory. So Orange Theory is, if you're not familiar with it, you know, is a longer cardio uh, type of circuit thing where you're operating at a mostly high rate of intensity. Typically, you know, I think they're like 140 to 180 is where they're trying to, you know, they're in theory a, a calorie burn zone. 
where would you put that in comparison to some of your EH days? And could you give an example? Yeah. So first, I kind of want to make the point of we have to look at it from recovery. So training is really not about how much you can do. It's how much you can recover from. Right. And the way that EH is designed is we have three total body workouts in the week. And those total body days, if you started the program on Monday, you'd be doing total body on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, I'm big on training frequency. So you'll notice that theme with all the programs that I put together. Uh, we adapt to what we do most frequently. Uh, it's why people tend to develop bad posture because we always are hunched over at our desk. Or you know, another example is if I gave you uh, a, a shoe, one shoe with a heel on it and one regular shoe and you started walking like that, you would quickly develop new recruitment patterns for that, um, you know, that would adapt to that um, new stimulus on your body. So I just want to set that up because it's important to understand that those total body days are the high CNS taxing days. So it's a high CNS stress. So your central ner nervous system is going to be taxed more on those days than the isolation days where it's a low neurological demand. So the Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday workouts, and then obviously the rest day, um, we're kind of giving the central nervous system a break. Orange Theory is also a low central nervous system stressor, but the thing to keep in mind is that you're doing a lot of running. So a you know lower body may be affected there. Um, the total body day may be impacted there. So the way that I would look at an orange theory is uh, if we're going to say, uh, let's just say somebody wants to do it twice per week, um, I'd almost look at adding that in on the, um, so let's say we would do a Monday total body day, then we would do a Tuesday uh, isolation day, Wednesday orange theory, then a rest day and then come back to the total body day. Because if we try to group those next to each other where we're doing orange theory and then the total body again, even though we've given the CNS some time to rest, I don't want somebody, their legs to be tired as they go into, let's say, you know, the squat day or something where it's gonna re require um, more compound movement and now we're impacting the, um, the amount of intensity that you can provide to Again, you have to keep in mind, what is the top priority and what is the goal? So we're trying to maximize muscle growth, which means we want to be able to train um, hard for those sessions. And if we kind of group the orange theory too close where, you know, there's a lot of running and then we come into that next session a little bit fatigued, we're leaving some gains on the table. So I'd rather take that rest day and extend the program out. So now instead of the six days, I would say now we're looking at getting those six workouts in maybe 10 to 11 days, um, depending on, you know, the recovery at that point. See, that's interesting the way that you're, you're, um, bundling the days like that, you know, I, cause I've, I've definitely said to people that if you needed to, you know, just do a full body day and then, you know, do your orange theory and then a rest day. But I kind of like, what you're saying is that if you want to get the, the best response from it, then just bundle three together, even though it might be a little bit more difficult. Is there any change that you would make to the orange theory, though? Because I might have some thoughts there. Uh, I mean, orange theory, it would just, you know, you would really kind of want to manage your intensity. Uh, 
the the floor routine with the weights is generally low intensity um you know they don't really uh, you know it's a lot of high reps low weights so um i would manage that like i definitely wouldn't want anybody going to failure on those uh so that's an important part of it to pick a conservative weight and uh you know just to kind of feel those muscles working and then as far as the treadmill goes um you know it depends because the programming changes for orange theory, but generally there's going to be some long distance. There's going to be some sprints involved. Uh, I wouldn't really encourage a all out max effort, uh, you know, kind of just be smart about the intensity. There. Would it be closer to the cardio day that you had on week two, where you're kind of, instead of being 160 to 180 on heart rate, you might be 120 to 140. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely think that's a reasonable approach there, yeah. Yeah, because that, that's where I think people, you know, what what happens for a lot of people when they're thinking about changing their training, they're always thinking harder is smarter, and it's actually not smarter, you know, because like Mike's saying, it's really about recovery at that point. Yeah, 100%. And I, the, the shoe example is is one that I give a lot because it helps paint that picture where you don't change because you were like walking to failure, right? Like you, you just, you have something that is a constant stimulus that your body adapts to. So that's, it kind of helps people understand, like, I don't have to always go 150%, uh, you know, beast mode, no days off at every single workout. I mean, if orange theory is social for you, you don't have to kill yourself during that workout, especially if you're, you know, I always, you want to keep that main goal in mind. So if you're doing everything hurts, your main goal is to build muscle. And the most important thing is not allow us to um, make sure that your central nervous system is adequately recovered. And part of the process, if you're doing an orange theory is to be smart about the intensity and save your energy to make sure that you're crushing those total body days. And, you know, if you start to notice that, that fatigue and it's, you know, impacting um, just your overall performance, you're probably pushing too hard. So let me say that differently. What he's saying is if you're doing everything hurts, everything hurts should be the priority. And, Orange theory should really be sort of a secondary thing that you're getting cardio from. It might be social. There might be many reasons. But, you know, going into everything hurts with orange theory, you're sort of missing the point if you're trying to be the best at orange theory. You know, um, so keep that in mind. So let's talk about powerlifting because I think that this is interesting and, um, we may differ on this one, but I'd be interested in, in what your opinions would be on powerlifting. So use the standard squat day, bench day, deadlift day. Yeah, so now we really have to uh, pay even more attention to what is your primary goal. Because if you're, if you're doing everything hurts and you're powerlifting, uh, which one is more important? Is it more important for you to get better at powerlifting or are you really focusing on building muscle? That's an interesting, so that's an interesting question. Okay. So I'm going to challenge you and say, I want to get better at powerlifting. Okay. But so I, then, but I want to use everything hurts as accessories. 
Yeah. So at that point, um, I would almost make some program changes because, uh, you know, if you're going through a cycle where you're trying to increase your squat bench dead, um, doing those total body days on top of that are, is going to be pretty taxing. And if you start extending it out too far, uh, you're really not getting the frequency with, that you need with those major lifts. Uh, so I would almost replace the total body days and just use the isolation work and the lower body day um, as your accessory work to the power lifting. So give me an example of what you mean, because the total body days are basically day one and day three. Is that correct? Uh, so it'd be day one, three, and five. Okay. Uh, and I would just substitute that with your, um, so your, let's say Monday would be your deadlift day for your power lifting. Um, and then you could finish up with, you know, some of the other, uh, basically you would want to make that your power lifting day. Tuesday would be your everything hurts day of your pushing muscles. Then Wednesday would be, let's say your squat day for your power lifting program. Um, I would probably actually add in a rest day yeah. instead. So say Wednesday would be the rest day. Thursday would be your squat day. Friday would be another um, a pulling isolation day. Uh, and then continue on. Rest another day. Rest and day. Exactly. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of how that would work out. So we did ultimately lose my phone. And so uh, from here on out, this will be the part of the podcast that people could not hear. And so I'm going to move my tripod. Um, that's interesting uh, because I think the tendency for a lot of people is just going to go, you know, all right, so I'm going to do my power lifting, but I'm going to do um, day one and then just go through all six. So it's, it's interesting. Now, I think one thing that stands out to me when you say that is that that's not optimal, right? Agreed, agreed. I really think that uh, for somebody who's trying to get better at the sport of powerlifting, um, combining it with everything hurts probably isn't the best way to go. All right, so let's say that I'm I like powerlifting, and but my my priority is to look good naked, right? So everything hurts being the solution to looking good naked. Um. Are there any changes that you would make there? You really wouldn't need to change much if that, if those are your goals and you just enjoy because there is, you know, you do have the powerlifting, uh, you have the big three lifts in there with the Everything Hurts program. Um, you could, you can add in some, you know, just some technique work or uh, if there's some weaknesses that you want to work on, you could, you know, again, throw in, a couple rest days and then add in some light, um, you know, stuff where maybe you're weak coming out of the hole of the squad. Maybe there's some stuff you want to work on with your deadlift and throw in some technique and, um, you know, days where you're just trying to correct weaknesses. But I'm just trying to think in, in terms of, I go to a powerlifting gym, we all squat on Mondays. We, you know, you know what I mean? Like, like there's usually an order to things. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's uh, one of those things where um, you would really, I mean, without having the specifics of how things are programmed, it's tough to give a general example, but one of the safest ways to go 
is is extended out. Just ex, you know, add in the rest days where you need them and extend out everything hurts and you know, make it six days, you know, get your six workouts in over two weeks instead of one week, especially if you're doing powerlifting, because that's you know, really if you're doing that plus the total body days, um, you're really going to fry your CNS quickly if you try and jam too much of that in. Yeah, I agree. Um, like, so basically, if, if powerlifting, so just to just to clarify, so if powerlifting is the priority, really take out the um, full body days and move. You know, have more of the isolation days with rest built in. In the other instance, though, you would. You know where where powerlifting is secondary and everything hurts is the priority. You're basically going to do days in order, almost as it feels right. Add in, you know, so so to give you an example, um, well, you know, day one is a squat day, so you could use that as your squat day, and then do day two, and then rest, and then do bench. And then do, you know, day three of everything hurts. But you just basically do the days in order, right? Adding in rest so you don't kill yourself. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I know that that's difficult for some people to understand. I mean, you can try to post it in ETP training. Um, that gets a little bit difficult. Uh, you can you can use message a coach to get an opinion from, from Mike and I, but we're not always the ones reading your uh thing so uh this podcast is hopefully helpful and answers most of your questions but we'll we'll try and get to your other questions crossfit's kind of an interesting one too um i think we came close to to covering it but one of the questions that was just asked was marathon training i think marathon training would be pretty similar to um to the orange theory but i think it has some relationship to powerlifting right because you have kind of that big day that typically people do on something like a saturday yeah so with marathon training um really you want to make sure that now that's your priority you want to make sure that you're well rested and ready to go for that long run um, and then you can kind of group together some of that other stuff to, to manage. So like on an interval run day, um, that can be done, uh, you know, that can be done on one of the isolation days as a second training session, or, uh, you know, you can extend it out kind of like we did for orange theory and just, you know, say you did day one, day two, um, then day three would be your running day four would be rest. And, and now you have some time to recover from that. But I would absolutely uh, make sure that the um, that one of your rest days, and so I would say you would want a low CNS stress day, which would be one of the isolation days, followed by a rest day, followed by your long run, and that way you're you're you know allowing enough recovery to uh, you know to not um, have to. Um, sacrifice the long run and your training there i think all of these modifications come down to something that's really simple you're not doing the plan as optimized and as i'm sitting here saying this to you i do not do the plan as optimized but i can tell you that looking at my body looking at my arms looking at my chest looking at my back 
I'm seeing a lot of progress, and I would see I I would argue that I'm probably seeing more progress this way than I would be if I just tried to kill myself, you know, and go to the gym every single day and then just constantly lower the weights because I'm always tired. You know, um, I tend to go 100%. Now, I will be probably adding a little bit more cardio coming up here soon. You know, what my big plan was, was to go to, you know, have kind of a met con cycle afterwards but truth and I, I still am going to do that because I want to kind of ramp up for the CrossFit Open just in case I decide to do that but uh, you know I do feel like my cardiovascular is is a little bit lagging I was kind of you know I'm actually week two so I got to the cardio piece um, and uh, you know, did that felt pretty good with that but as I was doing it, I was thinking to myself, I need more of this, you know, not that I need less of everything hurts, but that, you know, adding in a, a day or two more, um, you know, probably twice a week would be about all I would think would be good. And then probably doing everything hurts three, three days, you know, outside of those with, you know, maybe a fourth optional day if I'm feeling good. Um, I do like working out as much as possible. So if I'm fully recovered, I work out, you know, um, so I think that's interesting. So let's talk about, but, but, but the main point being that if you're a power lifter, if you're a marathoner, you know, if you're going to the Olympics, you know, and you're doing everything hurts in addition to all this other stuff, you're not going to be as good as all that other stuff. And you're not going to be as good at everything hurts. And maybe that's okay. Maybe for you, you know, having a longer cardio piece is how you make your mind right. That's how you get to that Zen place. A lot of people run because they like two hours alone where they come up with their best thoughts. And so keep that in mind that if at every single moment in your life you're thinking about fat loss, if every single moment in your life you're thinking about muscle building, Maybe that's not the best place for balance, right? Yeah, and I think uh, that really comes down to uh, having a focus and having you know a period where uh, if powerlifting is the most important thing for you at this given moment, then everything hurts is still going to be here when you finish your powerlifting cycle. Um, you know, just things change, your goals change, and it's okay. Uh, you know, we tend to want everything all at once. Like, how can I build muscle? get faster, get stronger, you know, look better and, you know, everything, um, you know, it's kind of like we are pulling against each other and playing tug of war with ourselves versus saying, all right, I'm going to take this time to really focus on building muscle and go through everything hurts. When I finish that, I'm going to focus on my conditioning and my endurance and I'm going to take a block where I'm, you know, where I'm working on my cardiovascular health. I mean, there's, there's things we can do um, concurrently, but it's important to remember that, uh, you know, it's, it's really difficult to optimize everything all at once. And I don't think that we should try to because it just becomes stressful trying to juggle so many different variables. Yeah, I think um, I think that's a great point. I think that uh, the, you know, it kind of, well, I'm going to come to this after we talk about the CrossFit. But um, let's see, weight and fat loss. 
thoughts. All right. So talk to me a little bit about how you would incorporate uh, CrossFit into this. Yeah, so CrossFit's an interesting one because, well, first of all, the programming can be very different from one box to another. But I think that if we take the approach of let's look at uh, first adding in, you know, some some uh, Metcon style, um, you know, high intensity uh, wads that would actually fit in nicely if you're just kind of spreading out your days again, like like we talked about before, adding in a couple more rest days. Um, and then keep in mind, there, there's a lot that you can do that's not going to be neurologically demanding. Uh, what I wouldn't recommend is going in and, you know, hammering out deadlifts and, you know, doing your only lifts maxing out and um, going in and heavy squatting every day. So that's where the programming comes into play and being smart about intensity. If you go in and you do see that it's programmed for heavy deads and you know you've got your everything hurts total body day the next day, uh, you probably want to dial back the intensity and then add in an extra rest day or maybe um, switch the orders slightly um, and just you know, make sure that you're fully recovered before you jump back into the, to the everything hurts total body day. Um, but I would rather folks who are doing CrossFit um, kind of, you know, be smart about what they're doing uh, and just stick with more of that higher intensity, um, low CNS demanding, um, you know, Metcon style training. So what he's saying for normal people um, is we would probably stick with the everything hurts doing it in order one to six days. Okay. Then in CrossFit, if you're using it to be social, um, that's awesome, but view the workouts as more of a Metcon. And what he means by that is that modify the weight down. So you really focus a little bit more on getting in more reps rather than trying to kill yourself doing the weight as prescribed and you know kind of bacon sizzling on the ground and then just frying out you know so um if you're going to be doing this period and you want to keep crossfit in the mix there really is no reason to not view it as a little bit more of a metabolic conditioning pull things down a little bit and then using everything hurts and then adjust to maybe maybe in the first part everything hurts would be the priority that's what i would highly suggest and then in the second part maybe crossfit becomes a priority right so um i don't think that you're going to optimize either but i think that you know one of the things that i see missing in most crossfit programming is hypertrophy work you know um and so that is something that could be considered but i do wholeheartedly agree that more metabolic work what a lot of people don't realize is that you know when you're doing something like everything hurts i know that i get fatigued relatively fast and have to take a little bit more rest between sets and reps right just to get through the whole workout when you have better metabolic conditioning you know, a workout that might take you two hours now only takes you an hour and a half. So there is this big misconception in the bodybuilding world and, and exercise physiology world that, you know, you just do this or you just do that. 
they're, they can actually work together and kind of make a lot of sense. So I'm going to pause right there. Uh, actually, why don't we finish that thought, then I'll pause, and then we'll come back. Yeah, I think that's a good point. They all they feed off of each other, so that you know conditioning work and your muscular endurance um, that's going to help your cardio uh, and vice versa. The the conditioning that you do is also going to help um, your ability to um, get more work in in a shorter period of time. Yeah. So if you look at how you know all the different uh, the three kind of main methods of building muscle. We're kind of hammering all of those at once with everything hurts. We're getting, you know, the uh, mechanical tension, we're getting muscle damage, and then we're getting that metabolic. Um, if you're able to get the work in in a shorter rest period, uh, as some of the days are prescribed and supersets, and we have some of those medleys and stuff like that to kind of hit the metabolic component. So you can add a little bit to that with your CrossFit conditioning work. Well, and that, that's the other thing too. When you have conditioning in place, you can actually work out three days in a row. Whereas when you don't have conditioning in place, you might only be able to get away with two. Agree or disagree? Agreed. All right, we're gonna pause right there. We'll be right back. All right, you guys, we are back. So we finished the discussion on the modifications that you would make for all the different ways that you would work out. And like I said, I know that's gonna bring up a lot more questions than answers for some folks. Um, but ultimately, you know, you can, as long as you're not adding things on top of everything hurts, you're, you're probably fine. I, the one discussion that I want to have, right? So mentally I said to myself, you know, and, and I'm in performance recomp, but I said to myself with everything hurts, I'm willing to gain five pounds, Right. I don't think a lot of people think of that. And I think that what ends up happening, even in recomp, right? So you're 300 club, you know, you're feeling good. You posted the belt on your Instagram and all this other stuff. And then you start doing everything hurts. You see visible change in the mirror. But you're trying to keep your sodium to 2,000 milligrams. You're trying to keep your weight down. And you're not being conscious of all the things that would allow you to be a little bit more um, anabolic. Like I'm saying, you know, uh, creatine, as an example. Uh, you know, I wasn't always great about my creatine supplementation. I've been much more strict about that, you know. And in that process, you know, my weight has gone up and down a little bit. And certainly when it creeps up to the top of that five, you know, I will start pulling back on sodium and I will start, you know, adding in a little bit more cardio workouts or, or things of that nature just to kind of keep that in control. But then I'd move right back to it, right? Because you can't put on muscle if you are deprived if you are avoiding sodium, if you are running a marathon, right? It's contradictory to the goals. My main goal is to put on muscle, right? Um, and like I said, I see a visible change from the days where my sodium intake is higher and I go into those workouts or, if I, or the opposite is 
true when you know, I'm a little bit more conscious of sodium, maybe my weight's a little bit higher. I just don't see and feel the change that I would in the case where I'm having a little bit more food. Any thoughts on that? Because I know, you know, when we talked in Madison, you'd actually pull down, you know, your macros are ridiculous, but, you know, you would actually pull down your macros. So talk a little bit about, about the discussion that I'm having. Yeah, you know, what's interesting about that is I've noticed that when I'm like a lower carb day and my sodium may not be as high, um, it almost looks like then I kind of have some loose skin. Yes. Uh, still, like I'm still lean, but I, but it's almost like it's loose skin versus when I have those like higher carb days and I'm, and I have higher sodium and I'm more filled out. It's like, there's really, and I can tell just by like touching, there's like no space between like my muscles are just popping out versus, um, you know, on the, on the lower days, it's, it's just a, a funny thing that I noticed about, um, the physical changes that happen. And, and, and I mean, like, like the difference between 182 and 186, right? At 186, you know, I feel, you know, I look like my version of the Hulk, you know, um, at 182, I look, you know, less hulky, right? I look a little bit more dehydrated, not as, not as filled up. And, and so I, I think a lot of the times people allow their journey to be dictated by the scale when that might be contradictory to what your goals are, right? I mean, right. It, it, and, and this relates to aging too. You know, so if you're, you know, if you're 20 years old and you're 125 pounds and you eventually get to be 75, but you're 155 pounds, hopefully you've gained a lot of muscle in that process, right? Well, if you constantly try to stay at a lower weight, you're really not put, giving your body the most optimal way to do it. And oftentimes you're going to end up under eating drastically as a result. Yeah. I think what you said about giving yourself that five pound cushion, knowing that your goal was to put on muscle. So not only are you trying to build muscle, but you're also in that process going to store a little bit more water, uh, just part of the process. And I think oftentimes, like you said, people will overreact to you know, you say you, in theory, they see this great program and they want to build muscle and it sounds great. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're up a couple pounds and now they kind of want to go and, and shift gears or have a knee jerk reaction to that. Uh, one of the key things is take pictures because I have one of my group coaching clients who is sticking out in my mind. She's only four weeks through everything hurts. And she had, you know, one day, I think, the scale was up maybe five pounds from when she started. And I asked her, you know, you're halfway through everything hurts. Have you taken progress pics? And she posted them and was like completely blown away. It was just so such a difference in the amount of muscle that she gained. She looked way leaner and she was like thrilled beyond belief with, with the results in such a short period of time. Now, if she didn't have that reference point, she probably would have overreacted and asked for me to pull down her plan. Um, seeing that physical change. And I noticed that when I went through everything hurts, uh, I'm pretty in tune with my body. So I kind of know how things are going, but um, I noticed physical changes 
literally almost on a daily basis. I, I, I've said that that's, you know, I, I say to people all the time, here's all you have to do with everything hurts. Just do till day four, right? To me, day four is the one day, like as, as long as, you know, you're eating an adequate amount of sodium, you're eating an adequate amount of carbs, you know, like do day four on pizza day and then tell me what you look like the next morning because you will never do anything different. You know, I mean, I'm open about the fact that if you were to ask me what I love the most, I probably love CrossFit the most, powerlifting second, everything hurts third. So why am I doing everything hurts? Because it fits my goals so much better, right? And if your goal is to look better, if your goal is an aesthetic, you know, it is going to be interesting, you know, with the CrossFit Open. This is the year that I would have walked in with the absolute most amount of muscle. I haven't really tested one rep maxes or anything like that. But on my deadlifts, you know, I've been throwing around like 375, 400, like nothing, you know. So just keep that in mind uh, that, you know, some of your – I think I think what happens with recomp you know, is, is people start recomp, you know, and the thought process is, well, my weight's always got to go down. Um, and, and so they get to the point where they hit a bunch of goals and they see the new goal and they don't realize, well, I'm already down four to five pounds. Like, why am I focused on this next point three? Like, why is that so important as it relates to my overall goal. And in that way, I think setting kind of that parameter and talking to your coaches and saying, you know, I'm not saying I want to weigh this much, but, you know, and we're actually working on some filters that will allow us to, um, for you guys to be able to communicate with that, like where your high end would be. I know, I know a lot of people are going to be like, I never want my weight to go up ever. Um, but that is part of the process that we're teaching you guys that for things to go up, especially calories, you know, you know, you can't really get to a good deficit if your calories are constantly low, right? Um, so we're getting close to the end, and I think we can cover lean AF real quick, but the one definite thing you do not want to do is you don't want to be in fat loss doing everything hurts. Now, I know some of you guys are doing it, right? And I know some of you guys are um, modifying to get it in. I, I think you're doing the wrong thing, and you're sort of missing the point. You might be able to figure it out, but ultimately that's what Lean AF is for. So there's some things with Lean AF that um, you wanted to bring up so... The floor is yours. Well, let, let's just wrap up that last point that you made because it's an important one. Um, we talked about it a lot already, but, uh, you know, recovering from, from muscle damage is easy. Your muscles recover pretty quickly. Uh, as long as volume is controlled, uh, we can pretty much train our muscles every single day. Um, now, the central nervous system is an, impacted by your training, by your sleep, by your stress, by your intake. So when you're in a deficit and you're in a fat loss cycle, you better believe that that's a stressor on your central nervous system. And now we're hitting everything hurts on top of that. I mean, that 
So just so people have that understanding of why we don't recommend it, it's not, um, you know, it's really, we're looking out for your best interest. We don't want people just constantly banging their head against the wall and, and wondering why things aren't moving. So, well, there's another point important. to that. There's another point to stressing out CNS. Now, all of a sudden, we're looking at a cortisol response. Now, all of a sudden, we're looking at holding on to more water, right? So it's working against your ultimate goal is what Mike is saying. Right, exactly. Um, so I just wanted to mention with the Lean AF, um, I think that I've noticed some people talking about um, kind of that, the accessory work, um, the band work. You know, you can do it with cables, but pretty much um, the template is put together almost exactly how everything hurts is. It's just we're managing the intensity a little bit. So, again, we're still getting three total body days per week. So we're getting that frequency in. And then the accessory work is just a little bit different and it's a different method. But the, the whole concept is the same. It's it's a low neurologically demanding um, accessory day and people are have uh, mentioned a couple times, like, do I really have to do that? And it comes back to basically what I said earlier in the podcast is that we adapt to what we do most frequently. So if you really want to maximize that, um, absolutely pay attention to those sessions. Do them. If you did one, if, I mean, they don't take more than 10 minutes. So if you do some band work in the morning, afternoon, in the evening, that's 30 minutes total, 10 minutes per session, um, you will be blown away by how quickly uh, you get results and a response from that. Even, you know, if you're in recomp, it's the same. If you're in fat loss, you'll see, you know, some significant changes. So in terms of deload, right? So you recommend probably what, like a two week deload if you're doing the six arm one week, one day off, right? Yeah. As yeah, if somebody is doing the eight weeks as prescribed, uh, one to two weeks, depending on your, uh, you know, your level of fitness would be, uh, everybody's different, but one to two weeks is, is a good um, time to just dial it back and, and deload. And as a general rule, if you stretch it out to 12 weeks with some level of rest and doing some other things, maybe a week deload probably makes yeah. sense? Yeah, a week would be perfect in that scenario. Gotcha. All right, so I think we pretty much covered everything there. Um, I think the thing that I want to say to people more than anything is do what you like to do, you know, and if you don't, like, like that's why I say, I mean, if you go through everything hurts and you do day four and on day four you have pizza and then you wake up the next morning and your muscles are full of sodium and you're like, eh, I don't want to look this jacked. Like, do something else that you enjoy, right? There's this guy at my gym, and I think he's a little bit older than me. I'm not totally sure, you know, but but I would guess he's probably 55 and I'm 49, right? And I would guess that he's about 20%, right? Um, he's, I'm guessing, 220. You know, he's about six feet tall. Um, 220, six feet tall, Jack, been working out his whole life. He's the alpha at the gym, baby. He, I mean, he is, you know, he's one of the head trainers there. And I just tell you, you know, you can get focused on body fat percentage. There isn't a dude in the gym that wouldn't want to look like this dude, right? And I think that 
sometimes we get so focused on the scale and body fat percentage and things like that, that we don't really focus on. There's a lot of people within my gym, like he's, he's a, he's a good role model, I think, you know, for what the long term looks like. There's another trainer that uh, I saw come in there. He's the only guy that I've ever seen deadlift anywhere near what I deadlift. Um, and, uh, but I also see him doing box jump, plyometric type stuff. So he's a role model for, for that kind of stuff. And uh, it's a little bit harder at Lifetime because Mike works out at Lifetime too to kind of have that social element. But those are some of the people that I've, I've reached out to. And I would argue to you guys, you know, like even the people at your gym that are trainers and stuff like this, you'd be surprised at how willing they would be willing to talk to you. I don't want to work with any of those trainers, right? But I do consider them friends and I'm friendly with them. And it allows for a little bit more of a social element. So not quite what I get with CrossFit. Because, you know, part of the appeal to CrossFit is that you're all crushing yourself together. And so you've got that shared bond of, hey, we all crushed ourselves and then we laid on the ground and, you know, um, five, five to ten seconds later we got up. You know, you're not going to have that kind of shared experience, but still, you know, making room for other people that are a little bit farther along in the journey than you are, I think is helpful. Um, anything that we did not cover that you want to cover before we shut it down for the weekend? I think just the last point I wanted to make was that, you know, on top of the number one thing, you know, we can set aside all of the science as it relates to muscular hypertrophy and, you know, how we're going to create muscle damage and how we're going to improve performance and strength. The number one thing on top of all of that is motivation to train so when it comes to actually enjoying the work you're, do you're doing if you go in and you hate the training that you're doing i can promise you it could be the best program in the world you're not gonna see any results so i think keeping that in mind that um you know it's it's fun exercise is fun you know you get to you know find out things about yourself that you didn't know and push yourself to to new limits and it's it's an exciting thing and you should enjoy it and so when selecting a program or where to train um, don't get caught up in all these little, uh, you know, minute details that, that really aren't that important as long as it's something that you enjoy. And I think that was a good point you brought up, Paul. Yeah. So, so, you know, to expound upon that just a little bit. So day three, week two, that was just my recent reality. I broke it up into two days, right? Where I did the cardio second and what I loved about that day was the fact that I didn't have to worry about killing myself. You know, like when I look at, like the way that I look at, you know, day one, day two, day three, you know, day four, I want to get the most amount of damage and stress that I can from that scenario testing who I am. But having that, that day where I was able to have that mental reprieve, that's something I want you guys thinking about, right? Because just going, at, I think that there's two types of folks. There's the people that, you know, are really kind of pushing it like I was talking about. And then there's the people that are constantly laying up. I think, you know, if you get to a point where 
you're not allowing for that mental reprieve. You're not allowing for a 30 to 45 minute jog. You're not allowing for your body to rest. You're going to quit and you will lose motivation. And that's where I think, you know, I just wanted to bring in like a, a real life example to what Mike said. All right, Mike, I appreciate you doing this, man. You know, we, we had someone to fill in with Sarah, so that was big shoes to fill. But uh, we this was something that we really wanted to do. We didn't really get into one piece that I think that was kind of interesting to people, like why of the design, right? So there was, you know, that's probably a whole other podcast. But truthfully, I think we covered a lot of it and why the design is there. And so if you want to know why a specific exercise is this or why a specific exercise is that, I think a lot of times that that kind of minutia actually hurts the process a little bit. Oh, one last thing. Um, do your exercises slower, right? And feel the muscles fill up, right? Because I, I, you know... You and JK, if you guys are in the, the the training group, go to those training groups and watch how slow Mike and JK are doing those exercises. Because I can tell you, <clears throat> like, even as I'm doing my curls, right, and it's a four-second eccentric, you know, it literally was probably one, two, three, four, <laughs> you know. And so I've actually extended out to one, two, three, four, five, six. I've extended out just a little bit more just because I think I tend to speed it up a little bit. What are your thoughts on that idea? Yeah, so the, the tempos are you know programmed in. There's some days where it's a slower eccentric on purpose. One of the things that helps is if you work out with somebody else, have them count for you. That's an easy way. Oh, because, yeah, that's a good um, idea. You know, if you do... Um, what happens is that that count gets quicker and quicker. You don't even notice it, but right. when you're counting for yourself and you're on your fifth rep of a slow eccentric, like you said, all of a sudden that five seconds is one, two, three, four, five. Uh, in your head, you think you're still counting the same, but if you have somebody else that's working out with you, um, or even if you call for a spotter for some, you know, if you're doing the bench with slow eccentric and you need somebody to spot you, just ask for them to count, you know, the five seconds for you. Uh, if you don't have somebody that, that you train with, but, um, the minute but you yeah. start doing that too, though, it not to interrupt you, I'm sorry. Um, but the minute you start doing that, all of your exercises start to change, right? You start to realize that getting that good where your lats get full on a row is really important. I was doing cable crunches yesterday and I was really trying to hold the, the crunch at the bottom, right? And I started to notice that that you know I was not getting that full engagement, and I was sort of shortening the cycle. So what I did was is I opened up a little bit more, and then I was able to get more of a full recruitment rather than kind of doing almost like this partial type thing. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah. So one of the things is you know people talk about mind muscle connection all the time, but it's it's hard to really explain it and put it into practice. And some of these methods kind of force that to yeah. occur. So some of that loaded stretch, stretching, like the EQI push up and that crucifix hold, some of those things were like, we're literally, you're forced to feel the muscles 
work. And those slow eccentrics help with that. Um, you know, take, take time to think about what you're trying to accomplish in that, that set, that rep. Um, and, and really, you know, just zero in on what muscles are supposed to be contracting. You, yeah, feel- you're trying to get the muscles to fill up with blood, right? And 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 uh, and fluid, and you know, you're really trying to get full engagement. Yeah, and on those uh, isolation days, uh, to talk a little bit about how the program is designed, uh, those isolation days are really we're trying to damage as many muscle fibers as possible. And, and that's one of the ways to do that is to, to really focus on that contraction. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so it's so, it's so funny doing reps slow like that when the guy next to you is like doing it for time. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it, it, it's just such a, a different experience. But it, once you notice, like, like I said, those other mentors in the gym, when you see those guys, they're all doing the same thing, right? They're all doing a, a little bit slower. And so when I started doing some of the slower stuff, people were like, wow, you're doing it even a lot slower than I normally would. You know, so it, it, it is it is interesting. I never in a million years, I mean, you know, I keep saying I'm going to close this down and never do. Um, but when Brad introduced Pain Train, I was like, no shot at me doing this, right? Just too many movements, all this other type of stuff. When Mike showed me everything hurts, I was like, no shot, I'm doing this, you know, and then he showed me phase two and I was like, okay, I'll start on phase two. So I started on phase two because it was a little bit more of an easy place for my mind to be. And also I was with Mike at the time. So he was able to help me on some of the exercises so I could go into it with a good head of steam. Then once I had seen the results from doing phase two, I was willing to tackle phase one. I'm still all in my phone nonstop, you know, looking at the exercises no matter how many times. But I do pick up a lot of tips, you know. I mean, I don't think people realize, like, I've never worked out like this ever, you know. Um, I do wish I had, you know. I, I wish I, I wish I had done my workouts like this before I started CrossFit. I think I would have been, cause like when you were at Madison and we were talking, I was like, what are you talking about? You want to do this? I, I am now very eager to try my new, I mean, you know, it, it sort of depends on how you look at it. And, and I'm not a big fan of, um, you know, body, body uh, fat scales where you don't, like a DEXA scan or something like that, but just looking at me and using my body fat scale as a judge, I'm up five to six pounds of muscle, right? Um, like real quick. Now, Mike had mentioned that he was up three pounds of muscle, right? As someone, and you go, well, okay, well, how did you get five to six pounds? That's easy because I never did anything like this before. Right, I'm recruiting all layers of muscle. I never did a curl before, you know. Um, my shoulders are different. I mean, you talked about posture earlier, you know. I mean, people don't realize that if you don't have developed, if you haven't developed your lats, then your shoulder, shoulder and chest not going to open near as well. People keep talking about abs. I see all these people taking progress pictures with sulking, sulking shoulders. And I'm like, 
Okay, first of all, let's pull your shoulders back a little bit. Let's fill out those lats. Let's do some back work. Now tell me what happened to your abs, right? Um, but the other thing too, before we leave, is do that ab work too, right? Because I think there's a lot of people not doing the ab work that once they start doing the ab work, they're like, oh yeah, okay, cool, you know? Um, yeah. By the way, to to this is probably gonna you know send us down another rabbit hole. But for the ab work, when you're doing ab exercises, abs are not meant for hip flexion and extension. They are meant for lumbar flexion and extension. So um, keep that in mind. If you're feeling a lot of the ab work in your hip flexors and in your lower extremities, um, you're probably doing more hip dominant, hip hinging. Um, hip flexion, uh, think about your lumbar spine and that you're actually flexing from that area and you will feel a world of difference. I will do a video on that so that we can have a visual and you guys can actually see the difference. But I've seen some people who talked about being really sore in the hip flexors and not in their core or not in their abs. And uh, so that's probably any, the reason why. Any cues um, that you can think uh, of? It's it's easier to show it. So, um, I'll, it, it, once you, once you see it visually, it's pretty easy to grasp the difference and then apply it to yourself. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll make sure I get that video posted soon. Gotcha. Okay. We really are going to leave here. I appreciate everybody being patient with, with us, but hopefully we brought to you guys a lot of thoughts that are going to make your workouts a lot better and get you more of the result that you want to get in the first place. So have a great weekend, Mike, and we'll talk to you guys later. All right. Take care.